Welcome back to the Twilight Tears. We're your hosts, Julia and Lakin. And we are so excited to be going into our second season of episodes. It's so crazy to think about that we're already here. But to start off this season, we want to kind of like focus on a case that's been based off of the new HBO Max series called Love and Death with Elizabeth Olsen. As Julia said, we are covering this case. It's a very interesting case, mm-hmm. and so you can watch the HBO series on it, Love and Death, but we wanted to dive in a little deeper, and so we were doing a lot of our own research on this case, and we're very excited to talk about it. So I guess just starting to dive into things, um, the case is about Candy Montgomery. That's who Elizabeth Olsen plays in the series if you do end up watching it. Um, but she was considered just a normal suburban housewife. Um, she was married to a man named Pat Montgomery and they had two kids together, a son and a daughter. And in 1977, they moved to Wiley, Texas. Um, and to Candy, like this was their dream house and the dream place. She kind of was living the life that she's always wanted to have. And to everyone else, like from outsiders, it seemed like they kind of had a picture perfect life. Um, but then exactly. she once was there, she kind of considered her marriage just boring. And that's when she kind of got that feeling of longing for something. She a little wanted more. some excitement in her life. And yes. at church, she met the person that she would end up killing, Betty. Um, what was her Betty Gore? Gore. Betty Gore. Yes. So she met her at church and they became friends, and that's yep. who she ended up having an affair with her husband. Yes. So speaking more to that, her husband, um, Betty's husband's name was Alan Gore, and they were married in 1970. They had a child. And in 1976, Betty took a job teaching in elementary school, but she, I guess, didn't really enjoy that. So she wasn't there for too long. Um, and so she moved back home and then they kind of decided right around like, I don't know, 77, 78, they wanted to have their second kid. Um, and so she, that's when they started trying for kids and in 1978, this is when, like, the turning point happened. So, at a church volleyball game, literally Candy and Alan, like, this is straight out of a movie. They kind of, like, collided going for the ball, and they, like, fell on top of each other. And that's something ha- in Candy's mind, like, she flipped a switch, and that's when she started having, I guess it's reported she was having, like, fantasies about Alan and that's when she discovered that like she wanted to have an affair on her husband with him was like that volleyball game so yeah from that point on it was that's just a weird sounds straight out of a movie yeah this is I'm gonna read this straight from a a quote but it says according to articles Candy thought Alan smelled sexy and began to fantasize about having an affair with him so one night after like a choir practice Candy approached Alan in his car and she said that she had been thinking about him a lot and wanted to know if they should act on her attraction to him. And so she confronted him and basically said, I I really like you. I want to have an affair with you. Are you open to this? Which is pretty, I mean, bold. It is bold. But it's very bold. Um, Alan initially rejected her. That, saying I did that, not know that part. Yeah. 
saying that Betty had just got pregnant again and that it would be unfair to her. And so he, um, he said no, but then shortly after that, he gave Candy a kiss. And so that's when things kind of started. See, I heard, I thought that it was like the opposite. I thought they were having an affair and once the kid, once he had the other kid, that's when they stopped having the affair. I am. I'm going to read more in this article as we kind of go through and we'll figure out that timeline. But yeah, it started once she was pregnant. Yeah. Oh my. So it says, um, a few months after that kiss, they met up on Candy's 29th birthday and then they discussed further details of the affair, establishing a rule that if either of them started getting emotionally involved, that they would cut things off and end it. So straight, just a physical affair. Yeah. Yeah. Um... They started having an affair officially on December 12th, 1978, which continued for several months. Um, apparently, Candy kind of felt guilty about deceiving her husband, Pat, but she never felt uncomfortable around Betty and even threw her a baby shower, which is pretty crazy considering the affair. Um, so, you know, just... They continued the affair even after Betty gave birth in July of 1979 but shortly after, um, Alan and Betty decided to work on their marriage and Alan ended the affair with Candy. So that was, that was in like the second half of 1979. It definitely seems like, I mean, from the start, Alan seemed a little more hesitant yeah. about like starting this affair and then yeah. he's the one that ended it too. Like, I mean, Candy has definitely been the initiator yeah. and was like pushing for it to happen. But I feel like Alan the whole time, like, I don't know, just to me, it seems like he didn't really want to have the affair. Yeah. Like, he seemed pretty content in his marriage and was having a kid with his wife. We and... are not defending his affair no, by any means. Right, but... right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> but... very good. Thank you for saying that. But, but... I agree. I She definitely was more of the yeah. initiator in the situation. Yeah. So this is when Candy kind of, like, flipped. She got very angry that Alan was putting his wife over her. And so, in 1980, this is when the altercation with Betty and Candy occurred. So, it actually happened I, I was on just... <laughs> Friday the 13th, Friday, June 13th, 1980. It's just, it's just, just weird, you know, Friday a, the 13th. A like crazy little yeah. coincidence. Yeah. Honestly, this entire storyline, or just this entire case, mm-hmm. the amount of weird little coincidences yeah i don't know it's i just mean friday bizarre. the 13th already has like an animosity with yeah. it and then the fact that this murder happened on the day it's just yeah. like it, it's i don't want to say fitting because murder is no, never no. fitting friday day but like no but it, it's just it's yeah so definitely bizarre on that friday the 13th alan was away on a business trip and he kind of got worried that betty wasn't answering any of his calls that was not normal for her and so he asked a neighbor to check on her but when the neighbor went over betty didn't answer the door so he then called Candy, who was watching their daughter, which is wild. Like, I I don't know. And that's... Wh- that is bizarre. And why wouldn't it... Betty be watching their ki- her own kids? Unless maybe a... Well, Betty was probably dead at this point. I... And then Candy just took the other kid. Because their daughters were friends okay and so maybe well, the they were one, having like I, a play date i do remember the baby the baby was in the crib during the, yes. the murder i do know and that candy left that's the other thing candy left that infant in the crib unattended for hours after the murder 
which is so messed up. Yeah. So messed up. Um, but then when Alan called Candy, who was watching their daughter, she assured him that Betty was fine. So she had to have known that, obviously, yeah. Betty was dead at this point. Yeah. Um, and then after many attempts to get in touch with Betty, Alan just became more worried. So a few hours later, he asked another neighbor to go inside the house and that's when they found their infant daughter in the crib. And it's reported oceans of blood leading to the utility room door. Um, the neighbor then informed Alan that Betty was dead, presuming that she had been shot. But that is not no. how she died. No. So it's a very gruesome murder. Yeah. And in multiple reports, just the amounts of blood like yeah, was insane. And she actually used an axe... Yeah, it's literally a wood splitting axe. Yes. And she struck her 41 times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And originally, I did see that like some um, investigators were very skeptical that it was Candy. Obviously, she was the number one suspect when Alan told them about the affair. She became the number one suspect. But with the fact that it was such a heavy axe, they were like, how yeah. could she... Apparently, she was very, like, small. Yeah. And they were just skeptical that she could actually... Yeah, do it yeah. herself. Yeah. Um, and then, this is in something that, like, I don't know. I haven't watched, like, the new episodes that have been released on the show, and I don't know if they show this or not, but I found this interesting. So, they found a bloody footprint in the home. And so, once Candy found out about this... She used a pair of garden shears to cut up her rubber sandals, which she used when she killed um, Betty. And so prosecutors, like, suspected that that was done to destroy any evidence that would lead back to her, like, soles on her shoes. So she just cut them up with her garden shears so that would be eliminated. And they couldn't trace that back to her. That's very interesting. And that kind of, because one of the things in her defense, because... She literally is found not guilty. Yeah. So we... Yeah. And we'll go into like the the trial. The reason why I say that is as self-defense, she claimed that um, Betty struck her in the... With like in the toe first. So like cutting up the shoes. I don't know. Like did she then actually cut her toe while first? I don't know. I mean the whole... The whole case... Um, basically when they went to trial, they, they used the self-defense Yes. for Candy. They were like, Betty came at her first. Betty's yes. the one who walked out with the ax, tried to strike her. And then that's when Candy got control of the ax and then attacked Betty and, and killed her. Something else that I found interesting that was used in Candy's defense was they actually got a psychiatrist on this. A, yes. And, um or a psychologist, my apologies, for, um, and did a hypnosis session Mm -hmm. and claimed that also um, Betty brought out childhood trauma and that it kind of ignited, like, this response from her past traumas. I had read earlier, it basically said that because she had suffered childhood trauma, it kind of led to her rage as an adult. But it's wild to me because... From the beginning, like, before this whole murder happened, like, everyone saw her as a very nice, outgoing. She was in the church choir. Like, 
she, like I said earlier, she did have this picture perfect life and no one saw that side of her really until this incident occurred. So if she did have rage as an adult, it really didn't come out until this murder, which is interesting to me. I agree. And in the polygraph too, because she took one, she passed. Mm -hmm. Like everything that she was saying. So she, and polygraphs are not 100% accurate because you never want to take one when you're under high emotion. Right. Because your emotion will, yeah, you, um, in, it can make the it'll interfere with yes, the results yes, of the yes. test sorry yeah. i could not get that out <laughs> but it definitely can so they're not always accurate and if you can convince yourself very well you can pass so yeah take that as it as is but i mean she yeah. did pass it which yeah you know did help but the I, only the thing that i'm seeing too is like the reason she became the main suspect is because she was the last person to see Betty alive. So that's one thing. But she almost was off. She was almost off the hook because her alibi seemed okay. Like it seemed, according to police, airtight. The only reason that they even continued questioning her is because Alan finally admitted to having an affair with her and that's what gave police a motive for the killing. Had he not told police they were having an affair... She probably would have never even been charged, which is crazy. How did she get an alibi that airtight? Like, I don't know. I don't know what that. She. It's just wild to me. Maybe a very deceptive person. I mean, she threw Betty a baby shower and then was also having an affair with Betty's husband. With Alan. Yeah. So maybe her deception skills are very strong. I don't know. I think they have to be. I mean, <laughs> she came out of this not guilty and she literally pleaded guilty. So, yeah. like, she admitted to this crime and came out yeah. of it pretty much unscathed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it says in the October 1980 trial, she pleaded self-defense. Um, during her testimony, she alleged that on Friday, June 13th, 1980, Betty confronted her about the affair with Alan. Um, she initially denied the affair and then eventually admitted to it. And that's when Betty went into the utility room to grab an axe, which Betty used to attack Candy. And then she said she eventually gained control of the axe and hit Betty as the two continued to struggle. And then just, she said, like, an act of rage just came over her and she proceeded to hit Betty 41 times, as we had said. Yep. 40, that is... And apparently she only stopped at the point of utter exhaustion. So she was literally going to keep going, but she was so exhausted... She just couldn't keep going, which is wild. It almost seems like, like, I know some people can kind of like black out in a sense of rage. And to me, that's what that's, this kind of seems like. And that's no excuse for no. what she did at all. She's completely in the wrong. But it seems like almost she did experience that. I don't know. I agree. And I know that we've talked about before, like we want to try to get like a psychologist's perspective on right. this because right. I am very interested, like truly what happens because we have seen like quote unquote blackouts while people yeah. are in rage and they don't remember. And in um like mental institutions and stuff, if you plead insane, mm-hmm. you go there instead of jail because right. they they don't remember doing it. Like right. that's the difference between someone that kind of goes into this stage versus. And I some... think I think that was part of her strategy too, 
was the fact that I'm not going to plead insanity. I'm going to yes. plead self-defense. Yeah. So she walked off with nothing. She knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah, because had she pleaded insanity for that, she would have been put in an institution. Mm-hmm. And she, I think she's, I think she knows what she's doing and I think she's very smart. And I think that's, I don't know. I think she's definitely competent. And maybe she did black out for that incident, but when they went into hypnosis, she did remember Yeah. So I don't know. It's very interesting. I I agree. I think there's a lot of parts to this. I mean, clearly, with any person that commits an act of murder, there's some mental illness there, and I know that we continue to talk about it. But, I mean, from the start, she she started this affair because out of boredom. Yeah. just for fun. Yeah. Because I could. Like, I have a husband and two kids, but... It's wild. I'm just gonna, you know, have some fun in my life. And, and the trial was so quick. Yeah. It said, Candy gave her testimony on a Friday, and by that following Wednesday, the jury had heard final arguments and reached its verdict that same day. And they found her not guilty, and she served no jail time. Which is just wild. The craziest part about all of this, in my opinion... Is that after the trial, she and her husband, Pat, moved to Georgia. And they had split shortly after that move. But once she moved to Georgia, she became a certified family counselor. What in the world? I don't get that. How can you go from murdering someone, having an affair with, on your husband, with another married man, and then become a family counselor? While you have two kids. I really... That part really confuses me. It confuses me and it like really personally, does not sit well with me either. No, like personally, if I were going to a family counselor, <laughs> I wouldn't want to go to someone who is a past murderer and From the person <laughs> like the someone wives who had an affair. The, I don't yeah. know. That just to me that wouldn't be a counselor. I mean, to that be honest, I would if I would to. want a family counselor, I would want my counselor to have like, you know, a fam like a family that's like right. together. Right. Doing well. It's definitely interesting. I just, that is insane. And I can't even imagine how Alan, like Gore, is it Gore? Right. Gore. 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 Yeah. Like how he is doing, because he got no justice from this situation no. by any means. And then not only was there no justice, then now she's, she has a job. She moved yeah. to Georgia. She just like, walked off with nothing. Yeah. Like, your wife was literally murdered in a very gruesome and horrible way. Yeah. And you just... And now he has to live with those two kids knowing that, like, his actions basically led to this. Yeah. Had he not had an affair with her, it probably would have never happened. Yeah. Which is just why... I mean, that's that's major, like, survivor's guilt. Um. I and I don't imagine. like I want to pity him, but at the same time, like you made those choices. But it's definitely like no one. I mean, no one deserves that. No, no one deserves I, to have their partner Candy killed. Candy definitely in that way. deserved to be held accountable for her yeah. actions. I mean, obviously, when there's an affair, neither party in the affair is right. innocent by right. any means. It does not give yeah. you an excuse. You're to, grown adults yes. making that decision, yeah. and you know what you're doing. And but like for the kids' sake, I definitely. I mean, yeah, I, I empathize yeah. for those kids for sure. Cause that, I don't know. That's just this case is crazy. I can't it even is. get over it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. But- 
Yeah, when I started watching this on HBO, I was like, oh my gosh, I how did I not know about this? I didn't know it was based off of this? a true story at yeah. first because yeah. I just kept seeing like the ads and stuff. But I didn't know it was off of a true story. And then when um, Julia told me this and we started researching, it's crazy. Yeah, I am. I was surprised I hadn't heard about this case previously because I I hear true crime stuff all the time. Like a lot of my social media is yes. like <laughs> cases. And but I had never heard about this one. And so when I started watching, like I love Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. And so when I saw she was in it, I was like, oh, I'll give this a try. And then I watched the first episode, and it's like based off a true story. And I'm like. I need to do we more research do. on this. Absolutely. So. No, it's definitely crazy. Mm-hmm. So we thought this would be just like a fun episode to, I mean, not fun. I don't know. The, I don't know how to word that, but. <laughs> a good start to season two yeah. of our podcast because this is definitely, I'm sure a lot of people are seeing this. It's relevant and we kind yeah. of wanted to have our take on it as well. And I definitely recommend the show. Like if you want to learn more about it and actually like see it it's on hbo max it's definitely worth the watch it's very good and yeah i think that's all we have for this episode so we hope you come back um we're gonna try and be releasing episodes um around every like saturday ish but we are living in two different parts of the state like all summer yeah (laughs) so we might try and come home on weekends and film but we'll we'll get it figured out and we'll post regularly some um, may have to be over the phone, sadly, again, but we will try <laughs> our hardest to make them in person because it's better for everyone. So much better. <laughs> yeah. And we want to try and be more active on our Twitter. We're going to be trying to post more updates on that. So keep an eye out for that. And I think that's pretty much all we have this episode. Yes. So, so thanks for listening.